All right, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Halloween in episode one. <laughs> yeah. It's actually episode what? 26 of What yeah. Makes Us Human. Episode 26. Oh, we got a new intro. That's right. So who's sitting right here, JR? John Lindemann sitting and, over there, and uh, JR is sitting right here. There you go. That's right. And welcome to What Makes Us Human. Absolutely. And uh, tonight, for our first in our series of four episodes on Halloween-related topics, oh. we're going to talk about vampires. As I do a wolf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So vampires have existed in folklore way back and across a lot of different cultures. Right. There's there's evidence of, of them in, in folklore in Africa, in Asia, in the Americas. But primarily, most of what influences kind of our modern conception of vampires and where we'll mainly be focusing on is the European folklore version of vampires. Right, yeah. Now let me ask you a question. All right. Before we get cranked up too much and going. All right. All right, when you were younger, was there a, was there a, a specific, uh, I don't want to say monster, but I guess that's it, uh, that, that pulled your trigger and you were like, oh gosh, if you saw or thought of, you know, you woke up in the middle of the night and got up to go pee or get a cup of water or something, and you were like, oh, man, I hope blankety-blank doesn't get me. What would blankety-blank have been? This is this is going to be embarrassing, but when I was a kid, like probably before I started school. Oh, I real saw, little, okay. I saw E.T. in that movie, Terrified. Oh, my word. And obviously there's nothing terrifying about E.T., but e. I was convinced that E.T. lived under my bed, and E.T. terrified me. My daughter's scared to death of E.T. I loved E.T. I wanted my own E.T. I remember uh, praying before I went to bed as a real little fella that God would bring me my own E.T. I think it's one of those things where I just saw it way too when I was way too young. And Okay. Just... So mine... Okay, so real quick. So we, not a monster. Right. But, in my case. but he was to you. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a pet to me. <laughs> uh, so now all right, it's going to be the reverse. You're going to be like, what? So uh, when when I was younger, uh, I think I was in the sixth grade, and we had, I went to youth group at the church, and they had this uh, Halloween extravaganza, and we we're gonna do all this stuff. Well, our our youth pastor fell ill, like I think it was food poisoning or something. In other words, there ain't no way he was gonna make it that night. Yeah, and he he fell ill that morning, and they had to scramble and change the whole ordeal. Well, this lady named Suzanne, real nice lady. Uh, she said, I'll do it. I love the kids. I know all the kids. She was cool. You know, um, she she took over. Okay. Well, I get there, and it didn't bother me while I watched it, but she, this is at a Baptist church. Okay. At near the end of October in the 80s. She turns out all the lights, wheels in the cart with the VCR and the little TV, and we all gathered around in the dark. And watch Night of the Living Dead. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now, while I was watching this, I was like, this has potential to scare the crap out of me. However, I'm grown up now because I'm in the sixth grade and I'm going to handle this like I'm an adult. And ha ha, this is not scary. Well, 
I grew up the son of the music minister, and I knew where every light switch in the church was because once everybody else left, we had to go downstairs and turn all the lights out that everybody always left on, even though we asked them to turn the lights out. Okay. Suzanne looks at me and points a finger from across the fellowship hall and says, Hey, Lindemann, can you go downstairs and turn all the lights out? <laughs> Let me just tell you, to this day, I think about zombies all the time. That moment changed my stinking life. I went downstairs and froze. And every light down there was on, but I had to get them out. And once I flipped the last switch off, I muttered something I probably shouldn't have muttered under my breath and ran up those steps like a scared gazelle. And to this day, if I see a drunk out here off 77 stumbling around, I'm like, dude, if you come over here, I'm going to pop you one. You know what I mean? So I am terrified of zombies. It took me all the way into season two of The Walking Dead to be able to sleep after I watched it. All right. So anyway. And you really watched a lot of Walking Dead. Yeah, I gave up once it turned into a bad high school play. Uh-huh. But uh, so yeah, but so I've never really been in a dark hallway of a big building by myself and worried about Nosferatu coming out. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. It's for me. It's been the zombie. Okay. <laughs> for you, it's ET waddling out. <laughs> it, it, it it was when I was like four. Yes. Jared. Absolutely. All right. So. So vampires. The European vampire. To kind of get a general definition of a vampire. Got to define our terms. We're gonna say this is a creature that exists in in folklore, myth, etc. Yeah. They subsist by feeding on the vital essence, typically blood, yep. of other people. That's of disgusting. People. That's so gross. So that's our that's our definition of a vampire for this. Not JWs. Uh, the word vampire, uh, as as we know it, uh, first appeared in English in 1732. Oh, really? Yes. That late? In news huh. reports about vampire epidemics in Eastern Europe. So that's like the first written, uh, you know, copy that we have. An epidemic. To us. Yes. Wow. So. I would not sleep at night <laughs> if here in our town we had the paper saying we had an epidemic of vampire activity. Yep. And this was from, these are reports coming from Eastern Europe, which is where, you know, a lot of this is, is going to be set. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things in folklore that supposedly, depending on the country, that can lead to having vampires. Yes, a lot. In Slavic and Chinese traditions, any corpse that was jumped over by an animal, particularly a dog or cat, uh, was thought that it could become one of these undead vampires. All right, now hold up. Question. So... Jumped over before burial, or the grave is jumped over? I believe the actual corpse. Okay, because I was going to say, man, if you scare a wild animal and he goes running across the cemetery, you're going to have a herd coming out at you night. You have you a know? vampire epidemic. Yeah, right. So it's the corpse. Okay. Yep. Okay. So uh, no wild animals in the funeral home. Another one from European origin says that a body with a wound that had not been treated with boiling water was also at risk. Of becoming a vampire. Okay. 
in Russian folklore. So it's okay. So hold up. So if you have a battle and all you're wounded, one of the first steps is to pour hot water over each. I guess you need a lot of boiling water. Yeah, pour it over the. That is so weird. Yep. Okay. In Russian tradition, vampires were said to have been witches or people who had rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church while they were alive. Hmm. I don't know what to say about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of uh, rituals for identifying vampires. Like if you thought you had a vampire in the town and you were going to the local the, the cemetery to try to figure out, okay, which one of these corpses is a vampire that's rising from the dead. One method involved finding the vampire's grave by leading a virgin boy through a graveyard or the church grounds on a virgin stallion. The horse would supposedly balk at the grave in question. All right, hold on. I think we need to... All right. So we need to explain for our listeners probably how this works because it's, I don't think it's like... If you just hear the sentence flat and you don't really think about it it sounds like well how could you not know who it is it's if, if you just buried steve and steve's walking around he's obviously the vampire but that's not how that works you know, typically these reports would be you know well it was some dead animal or some person who died in a mysterious way to get blamed on a vampire right it's, it's not as much it's an unseen entity seeing, yes right at yes. that point it's an unseen entity yes and it gets blamed on a corpse that's still in the ground. Yes. So it's like this, the corpse's spirit. Yep. So we're seeing here the effect of Hollywood and one and a couple of books that those have had because a modern listener with very little knowledge of this is going to think that, that these folks thought that that corpse dug its way up out of the earth and walked around and sucked on your neck. But that, you know, where people could actually see Steve who had died, but that's not necessarily sure. how it and that, works. And that does depend on the variation of this, because right. in some cases you do see, as we'll get to, you'll see some instances of, you know, holes dug in the ground where um, another way, if there was a hole over a grave, right? well, that was, could, it could have been grave robbers, but no, this is a vampire. Okay. You know, this is yeah. someone who come back. But with the going, getting back to the horse, yeah, in most areas, there's a lot of virginity going on there. In most areas, a black horse was required, but in Albania, it, it had to be a white horse. Are they always virgins? Apparently, are they always males? Uh, Stallions, yeah. or is a stallion always a male? Yes. Is that a dumb question? Yes. Okay. Can you edit that out? <laughs> <laughs> so, what about a, a what's it called? Could you use a... Uh, oh, shoot. What's a nutless horse called? <laughs> a gelding. Pulled it out. A gelding. Could you use a gelding? So you got a virgin boy on a virgin horse, and then they see if he balks at a grave. Yep, and supposedly that would indicate the grave in question. Doesn't throw the pitch. Another okay. way would be... As I said, you know, holes appearing in the earth over the grave. Yeah. Uh, also in folklore, you see a lot of ways that people would try to ward off vampires. Uh, garlic is a common example. Yes. One that we're still familiar with today. Some of these are less familiar. A branch of wild rose and hawthorn are said to be harmful to vampire, vampires. And in Europe, they would sprinkle mustard seeds on the roof of a house to keep the vampires away. 
Never heard of that one. Okay. Other other ways in, involved, you know, traditionally sacred items like a crucifix, a rosary, holy water, you know, things like that. A crucifix has Christ on the cross, right? Yes. Yeah. So just a bare cross ain't going to do it. Uh, apparently not. If you believe this sort of thing. Uh, vampires are also said to be unable to walk on consecrated grounds, such as, you know, like a church, church grounds or, or temples, or, or they're also unable to cross running water. Running water plays a big water plays a big deal in the spiritual, the dark side of things. If you start reading some, sure, yeah, like the some of the most famous haunted places, houses and stuff have where people have had to sell and they can't bear it anymore or what have you. Uh, that some of these famous homes um, have running water on the property, and anytime somebody comes to me and says. I like to talk about this kind of crap around Halloween. And uh, I've had a lot of conversations over 44 years. And uh, I've had a couple people say, hey, you know, we think my grandmother's house is genuinely haunted. Like we, or my father-in-law's or blah, blah, blah. And I always like to ask that question. Is there running water on the property? And they always, 99% of the time, they're like, yes, how did you know that? And I'm like, it just seems to, that just seems to go hand in hand, if you believe that sort of thing. Interesting. Yeah. So they can't cross running water. Okay. And in other countries, they would uh, place mirrors facing outwards on right. the door. Uh, I'd be afraid I'd see something, man, if I did that. In 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 some cultures, vampires don't have a reflection and may not cast a shadow. This is uh, maybe implies that the vampire lacks a soul. Yep. Uh, but it's not universal. Uh, the Greeks had a version of a vampire that had both a reflection and a shadow. Oh, okay. So, uh, but the use by Bram Stoker in Dracula, which we'll get back to later, yeah, um, you know, did not have a reflection or a right. shadow. So creepy. Ways of destroying vampires, according to folklore. Ways, methods of destroying suspected vampires. Uh, staking is a really common one, usually a wooden stake. Through uh, the heart. A lot of times through the heart. Some places had specific types of wood you needed to use. Um, uh, piercing the skin of the chest was a way of deflating bloated vampires. So this, this is something we need to touch on. We think of vampires now because of... Bram Stoker and because of the books and and plays and movies and things that have come along since then. We usually think of like a tall, skinny, emaciated, white, yes, uh, creature. Big eared. Initially they were not seen that way. No. They were they were bloated, pink, really gets kind of to the, the decomposition process, which which we'll we'll touch on some of and that. And to go hand in hand with our earlier conversation, when they're stabbing this thing through the heart with a certain type of wood or what have you, uh, they, they're they doing this to a corpse that has been dug up that it seems to be to blame for whatever pestilence has come upon someone or some folks in the community. Yes. Yeah. So this is basically, it's a blame of just the crappy luck that comes along with life is, is getting blamed on this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another common one is uh, decapitation. That's pretty much universal. Of a corpse. Yes. That's so gross, man. That's pretty much a universal way of, in in most folklore, of dealing with a vampire. So gross. 
course, corpses don't necessarily bleed, do they? Depends on how long they've been dead and how the body was prepared. Okay. So. All right. I, I would I would imagine there probably wasn't much in the way of uh, kind of our modern way of dealing with corpses. So let me ask you a question. Not, not probably not much embalming in this period. So on your first uh, your first assignment with that gross job that you used to have, and you and that guy grabbed that fella by his ankle and his wrist, and the skin just slid right off, or whatever. Uh, when I worked for the medical examiner, yeah. I picked the guy up and his head rolled away from the, his body. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. Was there any blood there? Uh, possibly. Not uh, a lot? I don't remember, to be honest. Okay. I remember at the time I was looking down in his chest cavity because his head was gone and it was just all black. Wow. Jared's had some cool jobs, folks. Uh, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> We've already referenced a few times... Um, Bram Stoker, and before we get to Bram Stoker and Dracula, I think we need to briefly touch on Vlad the Impaler. Oh yeah, the 1400s. Vlad the Third, commonly known as Vlad the Impaler, or Vlad Dracula, was a vivido, vi, I'm going to go with vivido, of Wallachia. That's basically, so the English word for that would be a duke. <laughs> But in his language, it's V O I V O D E. Yes. A voodoo yep. or something. Voodoo. Yes. Yeah. Basically, he's a duke. That's what we would call him. He was. Uh, and his name meant little dragon. Yeah, he was commonly. He got the nickname Vlad the Impaler. Yep. So this is somebody that you know. Usually, if you talk about Bram Stoker and Dracula, this name is a, is is inevitably going to come up. Which is which is interesting because, as you as you read Dracula, which I went back and I listened to a, an excellent audiobook version of Dracula this this past week, as part of preparation for this. Um, Bram Stoker really didn't have a lot of indication of who this person was. He just knew he was from this area that he was kind of you know basing uh, this character in. And he was, I mean, Vlad was the most well-known ruler from this area. Right. And also, he was known to be particularly gruesome. I mean, his nickname is Vlad the Impaler. Some of that gruesomeness may or may not be legitimate. Um, At the time, the the writings that happened at the time he was alive, talking about his, his... penchant for violence and his gruesomeness mostly came from his enemies who were trying to get him off the throne. He actually ended up ruling three different times because because of being imprisoned and then being exiled and, and et cetera, et cetera. Have you seen a picture of him? Yes. He looks unreal or something. Doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he almost looks like a Simpsons character that's not yellow. <laughs> I think a lot of people then kind of looked like that, though. And his signature? Serial killer style. So this reputation for cruelty may or may not be true. Uh, one example of it uh, is to drive away his enemies who were chasing him. Supposedly he went into it, one of his own towns and had every man, woman, and child impaled. Right. Uh, that's where his nickname comes from. And... The idea, at least the way this goes, is that 
when his enemies came into the town and saw this horrific act, they decided they didn't want to chase after him anymore. You know what that's called? Uh, I might, but I'm drawing a blank. Okay, so it's uh, a lot of times it's it's just the beheaded head. It's the heads of your enemies. It's called a ghost fence. Okay. Yeah, and back in the day, people were scared to cross the ghost fence. Okay. I'd be scared to cross the well, gum ghost fence. I mean, who wants to walk through a town where every resident is impaled? And right. You're walking around. You're walking essentially underneath them. Oh. That'd, that'd be pretty pretty terrible. I'd oh. be like, oh, yeah, I don't think we really want to keep chasing this guy. And you know they were impaled alive. Yep. Yeah. You'd have to do something to me to get... You'd have to Benadryl me up or something. I would fight you tooth and nail before you shove something up that and it came out my mouth you know yeah we'll get to when i get to bram stoker's dracula in 1897 bram stoker wrote a gothic horror novel called dracula this was not the first book about vampires there were other fiction works before this but this is this one really impacts our modern conception of of vampires and particularly of of dracula big time yeah Stoker kind of wrote this. Have you have you read this book? No. Okay. So it's 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 an interesting. I started one time. You know, it's an interesting method of writing because it's it's composed of letters between people in the story, right. telling what's going on, or telegrams, or diary entries. You know, like that's that that encompasses. That's how the whole thing is told. Mm-hmm. Um, but. He looks like Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm looking at him right now. He looks like Grant. Yeah. Who? Who? Stoker. Stoker. Not Dracula. I was just Stoker. Saying. Yeah, and he 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 pretty much lived Wyatt Earp's life. He's born in 1847, and he died in 1912. So he had lived in at a neat time. Yep. So. I won't get into the actual story for people who you know may want to go read it. I would encourage you to read it. It's, it's an enjoyable book. But some of the ideas that we get for vampires that come from this book is the idea of, of, a, of a vampire as sort of a, an aristocrat, uh, someone who's cordial, well-dressed. Wealthy. Wealthy. Creepy. But often will fly into a fit of rage if, if things don't go you know his way. Um, is there a okay let me ask you something in the book because in the now everything has become so sexualized now that I'm not sure uh, I'll just ask you the question point blank in the book does he almost seem creepily sexualized like in some of these movies you know what I mean you don't you really get that in an interview with a vampire. You don't have that. So the main interactions with Count Dracula, aside yeah. from references to what he's done to people that are you know, usually attributed to them as dreams, right? Um, you know, the main interaction you get is between him and the gentleman who's helping him buy a residence mm-hmm. in London. So you don't really have that there. Okay. Uh, you do have some of that with his brides. Yeah, his brides attempt to seduce. Uh, the man's name is Jonathan Harker. His brides attempt to seduce Jonathan Harker. Right, and this is one of the things that you know Dr- Dracula, like, goes off and physically assaults one of them for it. Um, but 
You don't, so you don't really see that there. Okay. Um, but I bet the book was st- obviously the book was uh, a huge hit when it came out, or no, or was it a later of, hit? Uh, kind of. It sold it sold around thirty thousand copies a year until Stoker's death. Hmm. The issue was by the time he wrote it and it became popular, he was in so much debt to his publishers and stuff that he solved very little money. Most of the money that came in went to his publishers. Oh. His appearance, he's described as thin. Uh, early on, he's described as having a long white mustache. Uh, later, it seems that you know, hmm. as he sucks people's blood, he gets younger. So later, that mustache is, is black or black with white streaks in it. Have you ever pictured Dracula with a mustache? I've never done that. Probably probably a mustache. I guess I... N- no in the sense of that, but yes, maybe in, in the sense of that weird kind of mustache that Vlad the Impaler has. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that like a raccoon's eyebrows the, or something. More fitting of the time. Yeah. Pointy ears, sharp teeth. Oh. Uh, at one point in the book, he's described as having a hooked nose and a pointed beard with a streak of white in it. So that's, <laughs> again, um, just as in all black. Yeah. He has hair on his palms, which is something that gets to uh, kind of the tie between werewolves and vampires. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure... All right. He's mostly described as, as, as old. At one point, he's described as cruel-looking. He's usually pale, but again, that, that he has a younger, more less pale appearance as he continues to suck people's blood. It essentially seems to make him younger. Getting the essence. Yep. He possesses great wealth, and he has uh, Romani people in his homeland, uh, what in the book would have been called gypsies. Because he's in uh, uh, Romania, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, who are they're, they're loyal to him. They're his servants and protectors. And in the book, it is Transylvania. Yes. Okay. I was actually trying to remember because that was that's mentioned very early on, um, and I had to think back. But, okay. Yeah. Some powers that he's uh, supposed to have in the book that he has in the book. According to the book, he has these powers through his dealings with the devil. And. He has, he's described as having superhuman strength, which, according to Van Helsing, who was also in the book, uh, is equivalent to that of 20 strong men. Wow, that's a lot. He doesn't cast a shadow or have a reflection from mirrors. He's immune to conventional means of attack. At one point in the book, a sailor tries to stab him in the back, and the sailor says the knife passed through, like going through air. Not good. went through him. That's not good. He can defy gravity to some extent. And if you know our podcast, I put that. I just put that on the level with a bite of uh, Vegemite. <laughs> Not good. He has a weird superhuman agility. <laughs> at, at, at it's those hairy palms. At one point, it it uh, actually a couple points. It talks about him climbing down the walls of the castle. Oh god, that's so creepy. The way a reptile would. Is the way it's described. In the book? Yes. Man, this dude's ahead of his time on this. Yes, yeah, so he's like a reptile crawling down the walls of the castle. Good for you, Bram. I bet that scared the fool out of readers. You imagine it's 10 at night and you're, the candle's way down and it's you know, you're just reading by candlelight in your 1897 log cabin and you're like, what the what? <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Granny gets out of bed and opens the door and you wet your pants. He has a hypnotic powers. That's not He's good either. He's capable of telepathy, 
and he can cause illusions. He can also vanish within some limitations. Um, if he knows the path, he can pass through things like solid objects, doors and walls, things of that nature. Now, he is in the book. There's no tie to Vlad the Impaler, right? No. That is so interesting. Yeah, it's it's it, it really just seems to be Bram Stoker's like, oh, this is the most well-known ruler from this part of the part of Europe that I'm writing about, and he's known for his cruelty. I'm going to call him Dracula after Vlad Dracula. Yeah, this lore on this particular character just kind of cherry picks. It bounces here, hither and and thither. Yeah, yeah. He also is unable to die of old age. And he can command animals. There are several times through the books where he is commanding, controlling wolves, both in his home country and, and later in England. Um, and at one point, when people are coming after him, he causes thousands of rats to swarm and attack the group of people that are coming after him. Oh, that's not good. So, you know, there's that bridge right there at the castle, near the castle, Uh to this day, if I think it's right there within sight of the castle. Which it, castle? Uh, the, the the one that they say is his castle um, in in the Principality of Transylvania, and um, Bran Castle, B R A N, like Bran flakes. Um, <laughs> thank you, uh, Hannah, who is floating through the ether, ghost-like style, for, for providing that info. But right near that castle, there's a bridge. And uh, it's famous for people's pet dogs uh, jumping to their death. They just leap off this bridge, and, and it's such a long way down that, of course, they die on impact. Um, and I wonder if that has... Well, i got to watch how I say this sentence. It's just interesting to me that he command In the book, he commands power over animals. And to this day, uh, they say you don't walk your pet over that bridge because there's a bit high chance your dog will jump off the bridge. Interesting. That is really weird, isn't it? I just had to bring that up. He also has the ability to manipulate weather. Uh, in the book, he's able to direct things like storm and fog and mist. Uh, he can also change form, uh, able to grow and become small. Become yeah. small? Yes. Like a bat or like, honey, I shrunk the kid? Like, he, in the book, he's able to pass through tiny cracks or crevices while maintaining his human form. Okay, that's hilarious. Uh, he also <laughs> does turn into a bat in the book. Yeah. That's a, that's that's a thing. But the Rick Moranis aspect is kind of funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just stomp on him. Yeah. He is also able to turn other people into vampires. He is thus seen as sort of a king, uh, as the king vampire. By biting them, right? He can bite them and turn them into vampires. He can also then you know they can then bite people and turn them into vampires and now he, once he's this, able to control all of them so he's, can you reverse this or once you're a vampire you're always a vampire well if you're a vampire it implies that you're dead so they can you know drive a stake through your heart or decapitate you or do whatever to your corpse okay so in the to free you of being a vampire so in the book if he bites you you die and then wake back up as an undead not necessarily it's a slow process in the book of the ones where he turns them into a vampire it happens over a long period of he he sucks oh, their okay. blood for many nights okay uh, it's not a they, one and done before they die and then okay. if certain precautions aren't taken they can turn into a vampire Ah. So, 
He can suck people's blood and then not become vampires, or the vampires he creates can suck people's blood and then not become vampires. Huh. But um, he does have the ability to turn people into vampires. Wow. The idea of of uh, sunlight being a weakness. Yes. Or, or killing him. Yeah. Uh, the idea of it killing him does not come from the book. In the book, there's there's the idea that the sun kind of limits his powers. Does it burn him? No. Not it in just, the book? He just can't do like the shape-shifting or any of the normal things that he does. But he's actually like walking around in the daylight um, as a, I guess, normal count. Um, in the okay. Book. The idea that someone would actually destroy him comes later. We'll get to that. But that, that is not, that's not from Dracula. Uh, his weaknesses... Is his thirst? He seems to have a bloodlust that is, he can't control. He just has to suck people's blood. Does he ever get a hold of an animal when he can't get a hold of a person? I don't remember any. I don't recall any examples of that. Okay. To somewhere, in some movie or book or something, somebody is afraid has become a vampire, and they don't want to get people, so they're trying to survive on rats or something. But but they're weak. Because it's not enough essence, what have you. I can't remember where I ran across that, though. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. Other things that that can affect him is uh, garlic and the same kind of religious items and stuff that we talked about previously. And uh, those also come up in the book. He does not go to church. He does not go to church. No VBS for this cat. That's vacation Bible school here in America for those of you that don't know. So that's that's kind of the idea of, of Dracula as a... As a person, as he as he's presented in the book. Yeah. After Dracula, after this book becomes such a well-known bestseller. Here we go. Yeah. There is a few attempts to um, make money off of this idea, to make movies and, and things. We're going to talk about Nosferatu. Oh, God. But Nosferatu wasn't the first movie based on this book. Right. Uh, there existed a previous movie in 1921, Dracula's Death, was uh, released. It was a very loose adaptation and um, silent film. Yes, and that's even creepy. Dracula is an insane musician in this version in the in the movie, but no copies of this film exist to this day. Really, you can't watch it. Nope. What happened? It just didn't make it down to us. There's some publicity photos and newspaper reviews, huh? But if not for that stuff, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't know it existed. Wow, that's kind of weird. Nosferatu. In 1921, German artist and architect Albin Grau, that's what we're going to go with, um, joined forces with Enrico Dickman to establish a new movie company called Prana Film. Prana Film. Yep. Grau had a keen interest in the occult, and his service in World War One had brought him in contact with a Serbian farmer who claimed to be the son of a vampire. So all of this sort of came to mind as they were looking for a maiden project for Prana Film. There was one problem. Copyright laws. Right. For whatever reason, Grau was unwilling or unable to secure the rights necessary from Bram Stoker's estate, because at this point he's passed, but his wife is still living. He went ahead with the movie anyway. He believed he could avoid a lawsuit by tweaking the plot in, in a few places. Uh, in this film, it changed from Victorian London to 17th century Germany. 
and the character of Van Helsing was uh, omitted completely, and most of the key players were renamed. Thus, Count Dracula became Count Orlock. Yep, Orlock, played by Max Shrek. Max Shrek. The full title of the movie, Nosferatu, A Symphony of Horror, was inspired by a term that appears twice in the movie's source material. Stoker mistakenly thought Nosferatu meant vampire in Romanian. So the term, as a, ah. not as a proper noun, Nosferatu, does exist in the book. They tapped artist F.W. Murnau to create the, the character, played by Max Schreck. He's a... Uh, Nosferatu, or Count Orlock is his actual name, is sort of a... They used... Are you familiar with the Golem? Oh, yeah, Golem, yeah. Okay, so the Golem uh, from, I believe, European Jewish folklore? Yep. In, in, influenced the design of, of Count Orlock. Okay. Do we need to explain Golem real quick? Uh, and, and it's not from Lord of the Rings, but I think Tolkien probably... Use the essence of what a golem is. Yeah. Uh, for golem. I believe in the, and, and forgive me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the character of a golem in folklore is a tall, skinny, powerful um, individual that, that kills people. So, all right, so it's spelled a little different, too. Um, so the original golem is G-O-L-E-M. Yes. And golem in Lord of the Rings is G-O-L-L-U-M. Yeah. But the, the whole idea is um, it's a, the, the golem is made out of substance like dust or earth, and it's brought to life by incantations, like a ritual incantations uh, through a series of Hebrew letters, um, sometimes called a golem. Golem, golem yeah, yeah. I've heard it pronounced that way. Oh, and Hannah. Oh. <laughs> Hannah's right in there. Hannah, Hannah's up there telling us yeah, we're mispronouncing, telling us we're from mispronouncing, we're mispronouncing yeah, yeah, yeah. Golem. Golem. Yeah. And, um, and it is a part of... Uh, uh, now I'm at a loss for a word. So it uh, so a golem uh, is a... I, I'm pretty sure it comes out of Jewish Kabbalah. Um, and Tolkien gets... Uh, you see a lot of that in Golem in The Lord of the Rings with the soulless kind of a soulless individual that's doing what its bitter commands it to do and in the lord of the rings it's the ring you know and then in other things it would be other things but yeah so yeah yeah and and so this influences the character so it's a tall character um, kind of long pointed fingers and our viewers may be familiar with the snapshot of the shadow of him climbing the staircase and it is some kind of freaking creepy baby. Whoa. Have you seen Nosferatu? No, I've okay. seen his face, and that's enough. Those two thin, long teeth. Yeah, I, I'm. Oh I, man, I've certainly seen clips, but I've not seen the the whole thing. He looks like a beaver that ran into an anvil. Woo. I thought it was interesting. Some of the special effects in the film were achieved with stop motion photography. Oh, okay. Something that you know you would have seen. Much, much later in stop-motion animation. Things, right. Things, things like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. Some examples of this. At one point uh, in the movie, the lid levitates off the ground for the coffin and then you know closes on the coffin. Pretty good for a silent film. And the uh, same technique's also used for Orlock to magically open the hatch of a ship. Okay. So, again, taking... A bunch of pictures of this thing yeah. in different positions and then putting it all together. Wow. 
very early for that technology. The idea that vampires burn up, that, that the sun will kill vampires, mm-hmm. comes from Nosferatu. Oh, all right. There we go. So this is, you know, Orlok disappears in a puff of smoke when he's lowered into a well-lit room. Does he disappear forever? It can kill him. Okay, all right. But he disappears quickly because he's trying to avoid the sun. Utterly fatal. Isn't that... It fascinates me that um, that cosmology and space and the turning of the earth in reference to the position of our star plays a part. I just think it's so fascinating that our minds work to... It, it, our very cosmology, our very solar system is brought into this stuff in things like that. You know, it, it just shows how weird we are <laughs> and how our fear works and how it drags the grandest things into these pinpoint, strange falsehoods, these lore stories, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it uh, you know, it's the idea of the unknown things in the dark. Yeah. And how daylight makes that go away. Yeah, and I just, you know, I, I go to, you know, so that means if the earth is in a, if you're on the earth on the side that's not facing the sun, you better look out. You know, it's just so, <laughs> when you look at it that way, when you look at it from 10,000 feet, it's just weird. But then when you're there in the dark hallway at night, it's like, oh, he's going to get me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, Shortly after Nosferatu premiered in Berlin, Florence Stoker, Bram's widow, received an anonymous package containing one of its promotional posters. And displayed on this poster was the line, quote, freely adapted from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ah. Oh. So, she sued them. Okay. She, however... I thought you were going to say she had a box with a head or something, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> she, however, did not get any money from it because... A bunch of terrible business decisions, part of which was the reckless amount of money that they spent on the marketing campaign for this, their first film, had already bankrupted the studio. Oh, okay. But she spent the rest of her life doing everything she could to have all copies of the film destroyed. Wow. In 1925, a German court sided with her in order that every copy be burned. Did she get a hold of the death of Dracula? Is that what happened to that? I found no indication of that. Okay, all right. Over the years, uh, surviving copies made their way into the U.S. and the U.K., but every time a screening would take place, if she heard about it, she would do everything she could to track it down and destroy it. it. Huh. So, the only reason why we have Nosferatu is because of pirated bootlegs. Oh, okay. People in 1921 sitting with their cell phones in the theater recording. (laughs) A lot of different soundtracks exist for this movie. I could see that. It's a silent film. Right. And when it premiered in Berlin, it was accompanied by a live orchestral score composed by Hans Erdmann. But no recordings of this original soundtrack are known to exist, although they've attempted some restorations. Over the years, Nosferatu has received a lot of different scores uh, on home video editions of this movie, including jazz, electronic, and classical background music. Okay. Did you say jazz? Jazz. John Lee Hooker, well, he's blues, but he's blues. Yeah, I just that's funny to think of jazz to this. In 2002, I became aware of Nosferatu. 2002 through a very obscure. How old were you in 2002? I was 12. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So, in 2002, the second season of SpongeBob SquarePants on Nickelodeon had an yeah. episode called Graveyard Shift. Okay. And in this cartoon, SpongeBob and Squidward are trying to survive working a 24-hour workday at the Krusty Krab, and weird things start to happen. The walls ooze green slime. There's some weird... Uh, there's, there's a story told about a character who then seems to appear. And the lights start flickering on and off. At the end of the episode, there's this big reveal where they figure out the monster's not a monster and blah, blah, blah. But they still say, oh, wait, but what about the lights? And it flips over to the light switch. And there's Count Orlock flipping the light switch off and on. Awesome. Really obscure, really out of left field. And apparently this was very difficult to pull off. Because the writer, um, <clears throat> Jay Linder, said that trying to find a usable image of Max Shrek in full vampire regalia was yeah. very difficult. Especially pre-modern internet. He said, quote, I drove all over town looking for books with scannable pictures of Count Orlock. I searched what little of the web there was back then. Hours and hours of my life were spent over four seconds of screen time because it made me laugh. <laughs> That's literally how the episode ends. It's just that Count Orlock's flipping the light switch off and on. They say Nosferatu in the episode ends. And you're so like, that is how mm. when I was 12, I was introduced to this character I knew nothing at all about. Did he scare you? No, it's it's a joke. It's, right, it's yeah. meant to be funny. But from there, we end up with all of the various modern conceptions of vampires, a lot of books, a lot of movies, TV shows, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all the way up to weird vampires who sparkle. You know, yeah. awful things. Yeah. So for the what makes us human side of this, and I think this is going to kind of be a common theme through these episodes, I could be wrong. Through Halloween. Through these Halloween episodes, is the fear of the unknown and trying to explain the unknown. And what I mean by that is as we look at kind of the origins of, of, of where we get these vampire folklore, people not understanding things like decomposition had a role in this because... The temperature and soil composition can affect how much a body decays. And so they thought if they dug a body up and it wasn't it decayed... Didn't, it didn't look as decayed as they thought it was. That's it probably must be the a vampire. vampire. Yeah. Um, they also swelled from decomposition, which led to the early um, descriptions of, of vampires being these kind of bloated uh, pink things. <laughs> um also could cause that pressure could also cause blood to ooze from the nose and mouth so if you you know dig up this corpse it doesn't look decomposed like you think and there's blood dripping from its mouth vampire huh after death the skin and gums you know as they lose fluid they start to contract so this can make it look like the the nails and teeth are growing yeah i've heard that your nails don't actually continue to grow, but your skin contracts. Yes. Okay. All right. So that's a myth that your skin yeah. continues to grow. Your skin. Yeah. Your nails continue to grow. Yeah. And and realistically, some people were buried alive during this time. Oh, my gosh. All right. That's a big fear there. Oh, man. 
Because you can't claw your way out from under six feet of dirt. Yeah. So if they, did, if they did dig this coffin up for any reason, there could be fingernail marks on the oh. lid. Oh. Um, or they could wake up and, you know, try to sit up, hit their head, and their, you know, their face is going to be covered in blood. Um, so, again, face oh. covered in blood, vampire. I guess um, you'd suffocate, though, wouldn't you, before anything else? Yeah. And... You know, obviously there's oh. grave robbery, you know, leading to graves being dug up and things. Isn't there a movie where a guy is buried alive and he's got his phone or something? I have no idea. And he's calling? I don't know. Huh. Oh, man, that would just be... Other things... Horrible. Uh, that contributed clusters of death. Uh, TB was particularly one that, yep. uh, That's a that led one. to this... Uh, it can uh, uh, so uh, you all of a sudden you have a bunch of people dying in the community. Yeah, and the breakdown of their lung tissue can cause blood to appear on their lips. Yeah. So again, vampire porphyria was is a is a disease or a condition that uh, has been proposed as a link, uh, but this really is more to do with not understanding porphyria. This is uh, uh, it's a rare blood disorder. Uh, where essentially they're lacking something in their blood uh, to, to try to keep it simple. But the way this gets misunderstood is it was thought that uh, that they would crave human blood to get what they needed. Uh, but people who suffer from porphyria don't crave human blood. And even if they took human blood, even if they drank human blood, it wouldn't give them what they need. But again, if, uh, if you have a bunch of people who don't really understand medicine, that can have an effect. Finally, one of the last things that's been associated is uh, rabies. Rabies can help explain susceptibility to garlic and light because of hypersensitivity. Uh, it can also affect portions of the brain, which you know can lead to odd sleep patterns, make make someone become nocturnal. Sensitivity to sunlight. Now, okay, I go to like Seinfeld where Elaine thinks she's been she has because she got bit by a dog and then she can't swallow, which is hilarious because it's a comedy. Um, but if a human gets bit, like if you got a couple of cavemen and Tuk Tuk gets bit, what, and it goes untreated, what happens? It can lead to. Do you end up biting other people, just it, like a raccoon? That's it can lead to that. Where you lo- it, you've lost it, your mind. It can and, lead to a drive to bite others and bloody frothing at the mouth. And you've just kind of lost your yeah senses completely. Yep. Oh man. Okay. Uh, there's also a legend that says that if a man was not rabid, he could look at his own reflection. So again, this goes back to the whole idea of mirrors and vampires. Oh, okay. So all these things sort of and not being well understood all led to our understanding of you know, vampires, the, the, the folklore of vampires. Ignorance creates monsters. We, we try to explain what we don't know. And we try to explain what we fear. Yeah, because we fear what's beyond the campfire. Uh, I think if we, I think we, I think we feel like if we can explain it, yeah. it can't hurt us. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's the what makes us human part of this. When you were a kid, and you had a bad dream, were you ever afraid if you told your, like one time I remember I woke up and I was like, ah! you know, and my parents, my dad comes running there, what the heck's going on in here? And I said, I had a bad dream. And he said, well, tell me about it. He sat on the side of the bed, you know, and he 
got some normalcy back for a minute. And he said, well, let's talk about your dream. What did you dream about? And I was like, oh, heck no. And he said, you don't want to talk about it? And I was like, shoot, no, because if I talk about it, I'm afraid it's going to come true. Hmm. Did you ever okay. Did you ever think that? I don't remember thinking that. Or am I just a weird... I might be weird on uh, that. But. I, 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 I don't remember ever, ever thinking that. I'm pretty sure as a kid I, I wouldn't have said it because I shared a room with my older brother who probably would have... Uh, you know, use it to play a prank on oh. me or something. <laughs> okay. You know? But other than that. And I was only child, so maybe that's part of being an only child weirdo. <laughs> but I think that I think that you're right, and I was a little wrong on that. I might be weird on that because I think people, if they share their fears and they talk them out before they go to bed and the campfire goes out, they probably feel better. Probably. You know, about what's out there in the woods. But if you share your fears with someone else, they may have that fear, and then you may all be freaked out. Yeah. So. so you end up with lore. Well, that is vampires. That was uh, that's pretty good. This is a long episode. It's all right. It was good, creepy, and we could go three hours on this, but you know, there's there's a lot of stuff here. So I wonder where the da 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 da. I wonder where that came from. I'm sure we could figure it out. Yeah, we'll have to look that up. If you know, you should write into the podcast. Isn't that right, JR? Sure. You can email us, wmuhpodcast at gmail.com, and you can find us on social media, wmuhpodcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would love to hear what some of your scariest uh, Halloween stories and what monsters you're afraid of are. Absolutely. We actually currently have a question out there on social media of your favorite Halloween monster. So on Instagram. Go out there, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, okay. I believe it's also on Twitter. Uh, go out there, answer it. Tell us all about, you know, your favorite monster. Zombies. It, what are we talking about next week, John? So next week, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about ghosts. Ghosts. Okay. Ghosts. That could be a really broad topic. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So... All right, folks. Well, tune in next week for that. The paranormal once again. Enjoyed it. We'll see you next week.